Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Last week, we began talking a little bit about the concept of God's rest. And we want to dig deeper into that concept of God's rest tonight because all of Hebrews chapter 4 is really zeroing in on this concept of God's rest and what it's all about and how do we achieve it and all of that. And so we're going to explore that tonight. So if you're looking for sort of a a theme tonight, it would definitely be looking at God's rest. You'll notice there at the end of chapter 3, he again goes back to the Old Testament Uh, Remember, the book of Hebrews has 92 references to the Old Testament, way more than any other New Testament book. Uh, Another sidelight, just really quickly, and we'll get into this a little bit more later on in the book, but I explain the level of Hebrews like this. Peter's Greek, the style of Greek that Peter wrote his New Testament books with, would be comparable to like a high school level. All right? Paul's Greek, the Greek that Paul wrote the New Testament with, would have been more like a bachelor's level Greek. Uh, Luke, Dr. Luke, uh, the books that he wrote in the New Testament, Luke and the book of Acts, would be at a more a master's level of Greek. The person who wrote the book of Hebrews is using Ph.D. Greek. All right? In fact, it is so difficult that you will not find one seminary in the country that offers a Greek exegesis class in the book of Hebrews. It's that difficult, all right? Now, fortunately, we've had the Greek translated into English, uh, but it is a very high level. And that's one of the clues as to maybe even who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, I think I shared that with you a couple weeks ago, who I thought that was. But anyway, so at the end of chapter 3, he goes back to the Old Testament. He says, God offered His people in the Old Testament rest. And they were never able to come into His rest because of unbelief. In fact, you see that there in the very last verse of chapter 3. They could not enter because of unbelief. So He picks then up that concept of rest and unbelief and He carries that into chapter 4 and here's where He says, Therefore, we must be wary, those of us who are reading this book tonight, that while the promise of entering His rest remains open, None of you may seem to have come short of it. For we had good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard did them no good since they did not join in with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter that rest. So you'll notice there again that he's saying that God had this wonderful rest and we're going to get to what that rest is in a little bit, but he had this wonderful rest for his people. They were never able to enjoy the rest because of their unbelief. They heard the words of God, but they never truly believed the words of God. They did not mix what they heard with their faith, and therefore it did them no good. Just like, in a sense, you know, you make a cake or something and you throw all these ingredients together. Well, listen, the cake's not going to turn out just right unless all the ingredients are mixed up properly, unless all the ingredients are there that need to be there. And in a sense, they were trying to make a cake of God's rest, but they had no faith that they were mixing into the bowl to make what needed to be there. And it just reminds us, again, of the danger 
of listening to the Word of God and hearing it and gaining information, but truly never really believing it and, and assenting to it and putting my trust into it. For, for instance, uh, I, I could go down the road and get pulled over by a police officer for speeding. And I could have the entire vehicle, motor vehicle manual memorized. But that information is not going to get me out of the ticket. All right? I can have all the information that I want, but if I'm not putting that information into practice in my life, if the information that I have, I'm not buying into it, I'm not living it, then the information does me no good. And that's what was happening here. There was a disconnect between all the information and all the signs and all the miracles and all the wonders that these people were being exposed to and the lack of faith and trust that they were putting in to what they were hearing. So that's why at the beginning of verse 3, he makes a very important statement. He says that the way that we enjoy God's rest, even today, is through belief, through trust, through faith. You and I are not going to even today enjoy God's rest in our life unless we truly believe and trust in His Word. I'm going to go on. As he said, God, as I swore in my anger, they will never enter, notice, my rest. Because it's not something that you and I can produce for ourselves. It is a gift from God that has to be given by God to those who believe in Him. If we don't believe, then we're not going to get that rest because it's His rest to give. It's a gift based upon our faith and our trust in Him. So that's why you can have people who say, you know, they may claim to be a Christian, they may go to church, they may even read their Bible, they've got all this information, but they're restless in their life rather than at rest. Because one definition of rest, and, and really what he's talking about here, again, is not a physical rest as we're going to see, because it had nothing to do with the promised land. It was a spiritual rest. It was a ceasing of self-effort to try to attain that rest. And it was really what I like to define it as God's rest is a settledness of the soul. A settledness of the soul. Well, how many people do you know who claim to know God, claim to read the Bible, claim to, you know, they, or they go to church, whatever, but they still don't have that settledness in their soul? Well, again, then there's disconnect between all the information that I'm taking in about God and trusting in that information that I'm giving, given. Believing in it. Trusting in it. And yet, he says, God's works were accomplished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken somewhere about the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, God didn't rest because he was tired. Whew, that was a hard job creating the universe. I think I need to rest. No. God rested because he was finished his work, and he was going to model for human beings that he was going to create the necessity of having rest in our lives. Again, we talked about the fact that rest isn't cessation of labor from last week. In fact, if I rest the way I should, the way God teaches me to, I can actually get more done if I have that rest. All right? So, but here's what he says at the end of verse 5. They will never enter my rest. Therefore, it remains for some to enter it. Yet those to whom it was previously proclaimed did not enter because of disobedience. Well, earlier he said they didn't enter because of unbelief. 
And so you'll notice there that he ties all these different things together. The reason they were disobedient is because they didn't believe. You see, if I truly believe God's Word, then I'm going to obey it. If, if, if I truly believe that's the truth, I'm going to buy into it. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to receive it. I'm going to live it. But if I truly don't believe it, then that's where disobedience. And, and so that's why unbelief and belief and faith is so important. In fact, turn your Bibles real quick to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. I've talked about this verse. I've quoted this verse. But I want you to see this verse, how important it is. Over in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, and we're going to get there in a few weeks when we get to Hebrews 11. The writer says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Whoa! Belief, trust. You and I cannot please God unless we put our trust in Him. And again, it's just like with salvation. God could say all day to somebody, all you have to do is accept my Son, Jesus Christ, as your personal Savior, and you can have your sins forgiven and you can go to heaven. And there's the gift. But just like any gift, it can be all wrapped up, it can be right there, but I've still got to take the bow off and I've still got to open it up. I've still got to, in a sense, receive it and take it as mine personally. And there are many people today, God has reached out to them, He has offered them the gift of salvation, but they have not truly believed in it, and therefore they have not accepted it. If they really thought and believed that Jesus Christ was the only way of salvation, they would have bought into Jesus a long time ago. But they haven't believed that yet, therefore they haven't put their trust in it yet. So without faith, it's impossible to please God because he goes on to say, for he who comes to God must believe, first of all, that he exists. And then that he rewards those who diligently seek after him. Or as Lynn has said many times, chase after God, run after God, just keep pursuing God. And I love that verse in James. It says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. You know, go after him. And that all comes by faith, truly trusting and believing in the word of God. All right, back to chapter 4. So again, verse 7, God ordains a certain day today, speaking through David. After so long a time, as in the words quoted before, oh, that today you would listen as he speaks. And last week we talked about the importance of listening and encouraging each other because we need that. Because if we don't, our hearts can become hardened to what we hear and we won't apply it. We won't put it into practice. It won't, again, do us any good. It'll be information, but not transformation. And now here's a key verse. For if this was talking about physical rest, if this was talking about the promised land, if this was talking about Canaan, then this would have all taken place in Joshua's day and there would be no more offer for us today of rest. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken afterward about another day. But guess what? Verse 9, I love this. Consequently, a Sabbath-like rest remains for the people of God. That's you and me. And God not only offered His people in the Old Testament this rest, this settledness of the soul, if you will, but He offers that to us today too. And again, remember the background of Hebrews. These people had embraced Christ as first century Jews, but they were under tremendous persecution, tremendous hardship, tremendous trials. And they were about ready to throw in the towel. They were being pressured to give in and to give up. 
And so the primary reason why the writer of Hebrews writes this is to encourage them to keep on keeping on in their walk with Jesus Christ no matter how hard it is. And one of the cool things that the writer of Hebrews is saying to them is even if your circumstances don't change, you can still be at rest. Because you and I can still be in the midst of the storms of life and still have that gift of God that is called His rest that, that our soul can be settled because we, we have peace with God, therefore we have the peace of God. We know God loves us. We know He's going to take care of us. We know He's going to be there. So as we settle all that, then we become settled ourselves so that whatever's going on on the outside is not really going to affect the inner disposition of the inside. That's why the Bible says joy is not connected to my circumstances. Because my joy and the reason I can praise God and thank Him, going back to even what Seth reminded us of tonight, is that we have a relationship with a God that can never change. And no matter what happens to us on earth, nothing, nobody can ever take that away from us. And so we can always wake up no matter what has been taken away from us and no matter what has changed in my life, I can always rejoice in the things that cannot change. In fact, let's go to the book of Hebrews. Let's see that. I want to show you that. That's a great verse over at the end of Hebrews. Uh, oh, geez. Oh, here we are. Look at chapter 12, verse 28. He's talking, he's talking here in chapter 12 about a day that God's going to shake things up. <laughs> yeah, um, we'll talk more about that when we get there. And basically, he's, he's saying you, you realize that almost everything in your life can be shaken. All right. It's not stable. Relationships aren't stable. Stuff isn't stable. There's not a lot of stability. But notice verse 28 of chapter 12. So since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, let us give thanks. And through this, let us offer worship pleasing to God in devotion and awe. Because God and through God, we have been given something that cannot be taken away, that will not be shaken, that is not temporal, but is eternal. All right. So he keeps trying to, again, bring these readers of this book back to those concepts. So that's why this whole rest thing is so important. Because he's saying... I'm not denying the fact that what you're going through right now is extremely difficult. And I can't promise you that those circumstances are going to change anytime soon. But what I can promise you is through your relationship with God, if you will just simply continue to trust and believe in Him, you will have a rest that can carry you through and give you a settledness in your soul that is supernatural. That people will look at you and go, how can you be so settled when everything in your life is so unsettled? And that's when you and I then can have that opportunity to testify and point people to... See, that's why God does it this way. Sometimes He allows us to go through those unsettled times in our life, then give us that gift of settledness so that all those other people in the world who are always unsettled, whether things are going good or bad... Look at us and go, how can you be remaining so settled in the midst of unsettledness? And it gives us a great opportunity to point people and say, it's because of Christ that I'm settled. Would you like to know Him? Would you like to have that rest in your soul as well? 
back to chapter 4 and I'm going to just stop here in just a moment. So there's a rest that remains for the people of God. For verse 10 says, For the one who enters God's rest has also rested from his works just as God did from his own works. And again, it goes back to the fact that I can't do anything to attain this on my own. In a sense, I have to rest in this because it's a gift from God that God is giving me. But, but notice verse 11, Thus we must make every effort to enter that rest. And that's not contradictory. It's just simply reminding us that, yeah, God's gift of rest is out there. But remember something. The key to enjoying God's rest is that I have faith, that I have trust, that I believe in God. So when he says make every effort to enter that rest, he's simply saying this. You and I know how important it is that we believe because it's through our belief that we're going to enjoy God's rest. So how do I, how do I build up my faith? Because it really goes back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 about without faith it's impossible to please God. It's going to be impossible to enjoy His rest. So what the writer of Hebrews here is simply saying is take every opportunity that you and I can to build and grow our faith. Because if we take every opportunity that God gives us to build and grow our faith, then we will be more likely to believe and trust and have that faith in order to enjoy God's rest. For instance, very pra- you guys... By being here at the mine on Tuesday nights, you're taking opportunity to build your faith through the study of God's Word. And through that, hopefully, as you keep studying God's Word, your faith is going to continue to grow and expand and build up. And as a result of that, you're going to even be able to enjoy more of God's blessings in your life and more of the rest and all of that that He has for you because all of these blessings many times are contingent upon faith. In other words, a lot of times people think, you know, God gives me all these promises, but I'm not enjoying the fruits of those promises. And I'm like, yeah, but did you ever look at the fact that a lot of those promises are contingent upon believing in those promises? God can give you and I all these promises, but if we don't believe in them, then they do us no good. I mean, I can, I can quote... God's never going to leave me or forsake me. And I can say, you know, God loves me and His love is unconditional. And, you know, He's not going to allow me to go through anything that I can't handle. Or, I mean, I can, I can say all those Bible verses, but if, I, if, if my heart doesn't trust in that, doesn't, then it, all those promises do me no good. And one of the primary ways the Bible teaches that our faith is able to be built up is through the study of God's Word. I'll give you a verse to support that. Acts 20, verse 32. Look it up later. Acts 20, (laughs) verse 32. Paul says, I commend you to the grace of God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up. Acts 20, verse 32. It's primarily through our relationship with the word of God. And so when he says there, make every effort, he's simply saying, yeah, God offers us this rest, but it's our responsibility to take the opportunity to build up our faith so that we can enjoy the rest that He has given us so that no one may fall by following the same pattern of disobedience and begin to not believe and begin to distrust and all of that. And that's why then we go back to chapter 3, verse 13 about exhorting each other and encouraging each other on a daily basis because it's so easy to begin to have our faith shaken and to begin not to trust in God and and to go down that slippery slope rather than keep trusting, keep believing 
keep moving forward. All right? And then I'm just going to slowly turn here and then I'll stop. Verse 12. This whole verse is about the powerful living Word of God. Which again connects with what we just said. The reason why this is in the context is because it's saying to us if we truly want to enjoy God's rest, we've got to allow God's Word to do a work in our life. And he compares God's Word here to to a sword, but I even like to look at it more as sort of a surgeon's scalpel because of the language that he uses here. Notice he says, for the Word of God is living and active. It's alive. Do you realize there's no other book that you and I can come in contact with on this side of glory that's alive? There's some good books out there. This is the only book that's alive and has the power of God flowing in it, through it, whatever. And it's sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the desires and thoughts of the heart. In other words, it's able to get down to the very core of what's going on in our being and what is causing us unrest. And so if we will just open ourselves up to the Word of God and allow the Word of God to be that surgeon's scalpel that will get in there and, and begin to work in our lives and show us those areas and things in our lives where maybe we need to trust God and those areas in our life that you know we need to tweak a little bit and all of that, then we're going to just enjoy more of God's rest. But many times people shy away from the Word of God. You know, they do the very opposite of what they should. When they're struggling, they stop coming to church when they struggle. They stop reading their Bible. They do just the opposite of what they should do. When we're struggling, we need to come to church even more. When we're struggling, we need to get into the Bible more. Because as we're struggling, we need to allow the Word of God to do that. It's almost like the Bible compares our spiritual walk with, with like spiritual health. And it's saying, okay, there's times where we're going to be spiritually sick. We're not going to feel well spiritually. And if we don't come to the, to the doctor and, and truly get you know, the right medicine for this, then this thing could take a hold of us and take on a life of its own. And it's just bad. So we need to allow ourselves to come before the Word of God and as Jesus says in John chapter 3, to come before the light and to allow the light of God's Word and the scalpel of God's Word to get in there and start working in our lives. Again, not in a negative way, but, but in a sense cleaning up some things in order for us to enjoy more of God, more of His blessings. And one of those great blessings that He bestows upon us down here is His rest. And my friends, we need that today, even in the Christian community. There are so many Christians that I run into all the time, all over this planet, who are totally unsettled, totally restless, totally not enjoying the rest that God wants them to have. And God is saying, it's here. It's for you. Just keep making progress. Keep trusting. Keep believing and allow the Word to keep doing its work in your life. That's what even Tuesday night's all about. That's why I applaud you guys, because none of us are where we maybe want to be or where we should be, but hopefully we're getting there, we're headed there, we're going to make progress, and this is just all part of the equation. So I applaud you for that. You hang in there. You keep with it. No matter how tough it gets, just like the writer of Hebrews says, keep being encouraged, and keep coming out, 
keep studying, keep reading, no matter what the struggle is, you hang in there. God's going to bless you for it. Comments, questions, thoughts. Okay, let's start up here. We'll work our way back. No, that's okay. Um, it, it, it's interesting because we don't we talk about so many of the promises that God gives us, but rarely do we talk about this rest, this settlement, or this peace. And when you were talking about that, I thought back to Paul's comment, and unfortunately I can't remember which book it's in, but when he was talking about his contentment, remember he was saying, I'm content when I was rich, I'm content when I was poor, I was content out of prison, I'm content in prison, right. chained up. Right. So is that the, was he hitting on the same? Same nerve. Okay. Yeah. And I will point this out. Paul says there, I learned to be content. It was something he had to learn. It's something we all have to learn. We're not there yet many times. Or sometimes we, we enjoy God's rest and peace for a while, and then some circumstance or something in our life changes and can rob us of that if we're not continuing to rest. Mike here is, though, a great person. I'm just sharing, and he can share sometime his testimony with you. It's, it's fantastic if you, you know, have never heard Mike's testimony. But here's a guy who had the peace and rest and settledness in his soul even as he was going through brain cancer. Uh, and he was visible. I mean, you could tell. You know, people were like, but Mike, you know, you've got this terrible cancer. And he's like, yeah, but God has given me this, this peace in the midst of this. It, it's a supernatural gift. And, and we can enjoy it. And, but Mike will tell you, it was because I trusted in the promises that God gave. And that's why I was able to access that rest and that peace. Yeah. Amen. And, and that's it. it. It can happen for you, too. I, you know, it may not be cancer that you're dealing with. It, it may be totally something else. But that rest is available to you today just like it was to me or Mike or any of us. Yeah, comments or questions? Yes. Um, keep growing. Keep growing. Keep studying. Keep searching. And God, you know, my prayer would be, Lord, I'm confused about some things. Bring some information into my life that's going to clear this up. Uh, you know, or even like... What you're sharing is so true. We, we all struggle. And, and so, like, one of my prayers every morning is, Lord, help me to trust you today. I'm not even going to worry about tomorrow, as Jesus said, because tomorrow's got enough stuff that I don't even know about yet. I, I, just help me to trust you today. Because, again, it's not one of those things that we can just say, well, I'm going to trust God for the whole week or the whole month and just sort of put it on automatic pilot. It really is. And that's why Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. That's why with these people, when he sent the manna down to feed them, he said they've got enough for one day. If they start to hoard it, it's going to rot on them anyway. So just take what you can get for this day. Live one day at a time. Focus on that day. Squeeze everything out of that day that you can with God. And then when the next day comes, then Lord, help me to trust you again today. And it's just that one day taking step by step. Because again, God doesn't lead us ten steps down the road at once. He leads us step by step. And so he'll say, Jeff, I want you to take a step in this direction. And if I do that by faith and obey him, then he'll have another step for me once I get there. But he's not going to say, Jeff, I want you to take five steps there and then ten steps. No, it doesn't work that way with God because God wants us to keep coming back to him. He wants to, to you know, get that relationship going. So if he gave me all the instructions I needed for the next year, guess what probably Jeff Royce would do? I wouldn't check in with God for another year. 
Oh, God gave me everything I need for the 2007, so I don't need to check in with God. God wants the relationship more than anything. So why God leads us one step at a time, for the most part, is because God wants that interplay and that relationship to happen on an everyday basis. Not a weekly basis, monthly basis, yearly basis, but every day He wants us coming back to Him, depending upon Him, asking Him to help us to trust Him and to you know, encourage us in anything that we can do. But yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Over here and then up here. I hope so. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, I'm going to use a bicycle illustration. Um, when any of us can go back and remember what it was like either for us to start riding a bike or for our children to start riding a bike, and you know, you got the training wheel thing, and you stand behind them and you guide the bike, and certainly they can, they can navigate the bike with the training wheels and with me holding behind them. But they're never truly going to be able to explore all that's out there in the world on that bike as long as that training wheels are still on and as long as I'm still holding on. So what God is saying by the whole thing of it's our responsibility to, to in a sense, make every effort, it's sort of a picture of we need to be willing to take the training wheels off and to say, God, you don't need to hold me anymore. I know you're there anyway. I know you're not going to let me fall on my, you know, bike in a sense. And, and I just need to go because you've got this big world out there and you've got a plan for my life that's probably much bigger than this little box that I've created for my life. And the only way that I can really enjoy that is to allow you to take the training wheels off and to stop holding it and to make every effort on my responsibility to go out there on the bike. Again, God's always there. Holy Spirit's always there never leaves me, but I can go a lot further by walking in the Spirit and by living by faith than by living by sight and saying, okay, God, I need to feel you holding me or I I need to see you holding me. No, God says, I'm holding you. You don't need that. You don't need those training wheels anymore. You just go. Does that? Okay. I was like hoping that. Yes. So, at one point in the Bible, it says that God basically knows what we're going to pray before we ever pray it. And I always used to get confused and go, well, God, if you know what I'm going to pray for, then let's just do something about it. <laughs> but I think you just answered that question now with right. the fact that it's like my, my dad, my earthly dad, used to know when I was a little kid right. what I wanted probably before I was going to ask him for the cookie or the right. candy bar or the new train or whatever. Right. But he wanted that interaction. Exactly. And that's basically, and if I'm understanding you, where this verse gets to is the fact that, yeah, he knows, but he's looking for our interaction with him. He's looking for us to come to him right. to get that response from him that we're desiring. Exactly. And when I, when I spoke on prayer the very last Sunday of this year, December 31st here in the services, one of the statements I made is, remember, practicing prayer is more about changing us than even changing what we want changed. When we get into the presence of Almighty God, the God of the universe, and we pray and we spend time in His presence, that experience is going to change us and our heart and our attitude more than it's ever going to maybe change the things that we're praying about and praying for. And that's primarily the greatest benefit of prayer, is, is it's allowing us to be in the very presence of God 
who we're going to be changed when we get into his presence. And that's huge. Because, again, that goes back to the whole reason why we're saved in the first place. Is we're saved to become more like Jesus Christ. And so through my prayer life, coming into his presence and just allowing him again to expose myself to him, to his glory and to his word, that process is going to change me and make me more of what he wants. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Yes. No, wait a minute. I don't get a question from you. No, just teasing. Yeah, and, and you know what? There's verses that talk to that. And so again, we should believe those verses. When First John says, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. We should believe that. Uh, we should believe the verses that says, God knows we're but dust. And, and, you know, I always share with people, God is more patient with us than we are with ourselves most of the time. And that's just something that we need to go back and trust. Exactly. You're pretty smart. <laughs> what are you doing after the mind's over? <laughs> I know. People that are hearing this, you know, no. no. Yes, Jeff. So true. And again, primarily, a lot of different ways to build our faith, to grow our faith. As I shared a couple weeks ago, we grow our faith by exercising it. It's like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. So, the more we trust God, then we trust Him at this level. He's going to say, okay, now trust me a little bit more. And so, that's one way. But another way is through the Word of God. Through the Word of God. The time you spend in God's Word is going to be huge to building your faith because the more you're going to saturate your mind with this powerful Word, with this Word that is alive, with the promises and all of that, it's going to change your thinking. That's what Paul says in Romans. Don't be conformed to this world's thinking and the way they think, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that comes through the Word of God. Let me just share this and then I'll ask again for any questions to come. Verse 13. I love this verse because it has a word in it that I think is really cool. It's got some good pictures in it tonight for us. So after he talks about the importance of the Word of God and, and enjoying this rest, and then he says, oh, by the way, if you're trying to hide something, you realize that's, you're going to be enjoying no rest. <laughs> you know, and, and he's trying to point out, you know, it's sort of like the people who say, I'm in control, when really they're not in control. Same deal here is people who think they're hiding something from God when we can't hide anything from God because He sees and knows everything. He says, No creature is hidden from God, but everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must render an account. Why is this in the passage about enjoying God's rest? For this reason. First of all, God says, if you're spending a lot of energy trying to hide from me, rather than just letting it out there, just, hey, even in all my imperfections, because God loves me even with all my imperfections, you're going to have more rest living that way than trying to hide what God already knows about anyway. So God says, be transparent with me. Be open with me. That's why I encourage people. If you're mad at God, okay, tell Him you're mad. Better to be mad at God and tell Him you're mad at Him. And see, people say, why was David a man after God's own heart? Even after David messed up and all that. I tell him, here's why David was a man after God's own heart. Because David was one of the most transparent people I have ever read about. And in the Bible, in the book of Psalms, that's why we love the Psalms so much. Because they were so transparent. If David was upset about something, if he was angry about something, if he was mad about something, if he was frustrated about something, he let God know it. 
And God appreciated that. Even if he didn't like his attitude, he appreciated his transparency because he knew he couldn't hide it. Funny, isn't it though? Not funny, funny, haha, but funny, ironic. <laughs> that as sin began to creep into David's life and he committed that adultery, well, guess what he thought he could do? He thought he could hide it from God. And he lost his joy and he lost that rest that he was having with God whenever he just was so transparent with God and didn't try to hide anything. And just came before God and said, this is, this is the way it is. This is me. And I know you're going to love me and accept me for all my imperfections anyway. I'm not trying to hide anything. So that's huge. Going back to what Lisa said. But then he also says this. He says, be willing to be exposed to God totally. Because we are anyway. So be willing to be exposed from your perspective. I mean, God can see everything anyway and hears everything and knows everything. So from his perspective, we're already exposed. But somehow in our humanness, we, we think that we cannot have to be exposed and we don't like to be exposed. And I can understand that because in the world in which we live, sometimes in a sense, we've exposed ourselves a little bit to other people and they have hurt us and caused us pain. So we pull back. We don't like to be exposed to others. The Bible says we're already exposed to God anyway. So take that truth and just allow yourself to be exposed to God because when we are exposing ourselves to God, we're not going to be hurt. God's not going to hurt us. He's going to heal us when we expose ourselves to Him. You see, when we expose ourselves to God totally, it's not going to be a negative thing. It's going to be a totally positive thing. And I love this word. The word exposed there in my translation might be a different word in your translation. It's the only time this Greek word is used in the whole New Testament. It's the word trekalidzo. It has two primary meanings. One, we probably begin to a little bit of familiarity with. It's where we get trach or tracheotomy from. Literally, it means be willing to expose. And the word was meant that they would bend the neck back so that they could provide a life-giving airway to somebody. And to, to do that, you have to expose yourself. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to pull your neck back or allow someone else to bend your neck back. And that's a very, that's one of the most vulnerable positions that anybody can ever get to. In fact, if, if people know what they're doing, or who do know what they're doing, if somebody have their neck exposed, they could kill them instantly with one blow to a certain part of the neck. It's one of the most vital areas on our whole body is this neck. So when we bend the neck back, we're definitely exposing ourselves. And this word picture is so cool here. It's saying, be willing to bend your neck back to God and allow yourself to be exposed. Because as we do that, God can give His life-giving energy and grace and strength into us. Wow, what a cool picture. And then, I like this one even better. The other way it was used, it was used for wrestlers. It was used in Paul's day and in, in biblical times of wrestlers who would be able to get a hold on, on their opponent and it was the hold that would bring submission. It was a hold that would bring victory. Once they, in a sense, got this trachalizo hold on their opponent, it was over. It was done. They won. And so the other thing that the writer of Hebrews is bringing out here is this. 
You and I are struggling. We're struggling with things. We're not enjoying God's rest. And part of it is, you know, because we're not trusting. Another part of it might be we're not willing to expose ourselves to God. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying here to these folks is if you and I will just expose ourselves to God, He can grab a hold of whatever that is in our life that's causing us pain and He can subdue it. He has authority over it. He can gain victory over it. We can see victory over it if we just expose ourselves and quit trying to hide it and, and trying to you know, deal with it ourselves and just lay it out there before God and say, God, I'm struggling with this. Help me, please, to gain victory. Because I'm telling you this on the authority of God's Word. God wants you to see victory. If there's something in your life that is keeping you from enjoying God's rest, he wants you to overcome that. He will enable you to overcome that. And maybe part of it is just allowing yourself to be totally exposed to God. Say, God, I'm not going to hide this any longer. I'm just going to get it out there and I'm going to deal with it. I maybe share with you this before and I'll share this just quick personal testimony and then I'll stop for comments or questions. Many of you who've been with me now for about uh, almost two years since I've been here know that I'm very forthcoming about sharing the struggles I had with anxiety and panic attacks and dealing with all that for years to the point where it paralyzed my life. It took over my life. And I was no way enjoying God's rest. And one of the things that kept that such a stronghold in my life was because I was embarrassed about it, obviously. There was a lot of shame there. Uh, I was a pastor. I was a Christian. I shouldn't be struggling with this thing. And so I hid it. I had tried to hide it from everybody, including God. I, I didn't want to expose it. I, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to deal. I wanted to pretend it wasn't even a part of my life. I mean, all these games that we can play, all these excuses that we can make, everything at all. Friends, I'm telling you what. The day that I was willing to expose that was the day I started to heal. The day I was willing to say, in a sense, just like many addicts do and people who struggle with any kind of addiction says, I'm an addict. I need help. This is too big for me to handle was the day the healing process started in my life. And I can just stand before you now and tell you, God gave me victory over that. I mean, complete victory. That's why I, I, one of my ministries is that God brings people who are now today suffering from anxiety and panic attacks. He brings those people to me in droves. Because I can look them in the eye and I can tell them with assurance and with hope, God one day is going to give you victory over that. You're, right now you're at a point in your life where you think that this is going to trap you and this is something you're going to have to struggle with for the rest of your life. I was there. I know what you're feeling. But I'm telling you, God can help you overcome that. And I'm a living example of that. And so God, that's, that's why too, God sometimes you know, allows us to go through those things. Hopefully we respond to them correctly so that in turn down the road then we can encourage others who are struggling with the things that we used to struggle with, but because of God's grace and power and strength, we've overcome them. And it's not us. We're just telling them, hey, He's the one that can do it. Just expose yourself to Him and look to Him. I love this verse. I love this verse because it reminds us that truly, if we're going to enjoy God's rest, a couple things in this passage. We've got to believe. We've got to trust. We've got to have faith. And so we've got to concentrate on taking every opportunity to build that up. 
which really connects with the Word of God. And just getting in there because it's alive, it's powerful. And then be willing to expose yourself. Be willing to lay that head back in God's presence. I realize, hey, I'm not asking you to expose yourself to human beings. That's going to be based on the level of trust that, that you have with them. But all I'm saying is, remember, God's different. And we can totally expose ourselves to God because God knows everything about us anyway. Okay? We're, even if we think we're hiding from God, we're not. And expose yourself totally to God and let His healing, life-giving power begin to flow into your life and let Him subdue that thing, that snake in your life that has been causing you pain and restlessness and all of that stuff. Let Him subdue that and let Him get victory over that in your life so that you can begin to enjoy God's reign. All right. The book of John real quick. John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 19. Now, even though in my translation the word expose is used here, it's not the same as, it's not the trachalizo that's used in Hebrews. In uh, John chapter 3, verse 19. Now, this is the basis for judging, that the light has come into the world, Jesus. And people love the darkness of their sin rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light so that their deeds will not be exposed. You see, Jesus is even saying, boy, you know, part of the reason, and I realize it, you know, psychologically, I get what Jesus is saying. I'm just saying spiritually it's not good for you. But psychologically, I understand why people who are living in sin don't want to come to church or don't want to be part of a Bible study if they're living in just open, open rebellion against God. Why? Because it's too convicting. Because <laughs> every time I open up the Bible, God's going to speak to me. And guess what He's going to speak to me about? That open, rebellious sin that I'm doing out there that He's saying, you've got to get that right because I want you to enjoy my rest and you can't enjoy that rest until... So, I don't want to come to church. You know, why would I want to come to church and hear Lynn speak and open up the Word of God and me be so convicted? So if I stay away, then I won't be convicted. The problem is, yeah, but if you stay away and you never come to the light and you never allow yourself to be exposed to God, you also won't ever get any healing either. You won't also get any victory either. You also will continue to struggle and probably go further and further away from the Lord. And that's why then Jesus says, but the one who practices the truth, verse 21, comes to the light. So that it may be plainly evident that his deeds have been done in God. You see, the best thing to do is even, like Lisa was saying, even if we're imperfect, even if we sin, to just come to the light and be exposed. Because God knows about it anyway. I always say to people, our sins are more pardonable to God than the excuses we use to hide them. God says, if you confess your sin, I'm faithful and just forgive you. You know, and again, so let's just, Come to the light. You know, let's not be like that bug, you know, they turn the light on and the bug scurries into the dark because it doesn't like the light. It doesn't want to be exposed. God wants us to be exposed to Him and to His Word because the more we allow that light to saturate us, the more He's going to grow us and expand us and bring us along and give us all these blessings and rest that are truly ours, but only... If we expose ourselves to that. Yeah, Star. Jeff, I, I just have to share this dream that I had when I was seven years old that was, was so appropriate to what you're talking about. I dreamt that I went up to heaven, and here I am, a seven year old little girl, and like just wide open. Mm-hmm. And my heart had all this like, 
mucus and pus in it. And there was God and Jesus with a scalpel, mm. just cutting it out. Wow. And to this day, you know, I remember. Very real, yeah. Definitely goes along with what we've been talking about today. Yeah. Um, God loves you. And again, God's not going to use that scalpel on us to discourage us, to destroy us, to threaten us in any way. It's just like a good surgeon today. We may have something physically wrong with us that we need to go through that pain of surgery, but on the backside of that pain of surgery, we're going to feel an awful lot better. I can, again, can be a personal testimony to that. Had my gallbladder out a couple of years ago. Any of you have ever had gallbladder problems? Oh my goodness. I had got to the point where I could not do it. I mean, I was in pain 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. I couldn't eat anything. I mean, I would got to the point where a piece of bread was causing me problems. Going to the doctor, trying to say, I, I don't want to live like this. What is wrong with me? And finally, they figured out with the whole dye thing. And, oh, you, and in fact, this is par for the course with me. The doctor goes, I've never seen a worse gallbladder than that. <laughs> it figures. It figures. And they took it out. And yeah, there was a little pain there for a couple of days recovering. But my goodness. After that, oh, pain-free. Feels good. Feels good. So yeah, none of us like to go through surgery. I understand that. But just like physically, sometimes that's the best thing. Because sometimes we can experience such better health on the backside of that if we just allow ourselves to be exposed to the surgeon's scalpel. The thing is true with God and His Word. God is saying to these Hebrews who are struggling, I want you to have my rest in the middle of your struggle. But the way to do that is to expose yourself to my presence and to my Word and allow me to do a work in your midst and to give you this gift of God's rest. I hope you guys will enjoy that rest. I hope you will. Just... Another minute. Anything else? Yes. You just have one now that's beating on me a little bit. So then in God and His all-knowingness, does He know which people will or will not eventually come to Him? Mm-hmm. Now, He's holding out hope for everybody. He's betting on the come line, so to speak. Literally. Well, let's put it this way. Jesus died for everybody. Right. Uh, but yeah, because God is omniscient and knows all things, He knows those who truly will accept His Son and those who won't. But He's offered it to everybody. Yeah. One other thing, and then I'll close. Just quickly. Can I just quickly take you through this? I'm sorry. <laughs> Verses 14, 15, and 16. Let's just close out chapter 4 tonight and we'll pick it back up here next week. So that's why the writer of Hebrews says, Oh, by the way, guys, again, going back to what we've talked about already... God is going to sympathize with you. He's not this harsh God that's going to... He wants to help. He wants to heal you. He wants to bring you this rest and peace that He has for you. So He says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, don't think just because Jesus Christ is up there in heaven that He can't help you down here. He's very capable of helping you even though He's up there. Because He's Jesus, the Son of God. So hold fast to your confession. Don't give up. Don't throw in a towel. Don't be pressured to give in or give up. For we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, 
let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace whenever we need help. For me, that's like every minute of the day. Just a couple of comments. So many people have this view of God's throne and it's such a negative thing. For them, God's throne is this throne of judgment and ooh and you know, blackness and darkness. And God's throne was always this, you know, it was almost like, I'm um, sorry, the Wizard of Oz. And, you know, it's like, ooh, scary. You know, I don't like that. that. I'm sorry, that was always scary to me when I was a kid. So, the Bible says that, no, God's throne is primarily characterized by grace. Grace. So that's why we can come confidently because it's a throne of grace. And he defines what grace is. It's help. God wants to help His children. He's up there wanting to help. All He's asking is, will you come and ask me for help? Because again, God's a perfect gentleman. He's not going to butt into our lives and help us if we don't want His help. But if we ask for His help, He'll be right there. In fact, I love this Greek word. The word help there is the Greek word bothia. It's from two words. Cry and run. It literally means when we cry, God comes running. What a great picture. That's the kind of God we have. That the moment we cry out to Him, He's running to help us. It's not like He's indifferent, like some people think, oh, God's just way up there. He's indifferent. He does. No. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.16, we have a God who sympathizes, a God who cares, a God who loves us, and a God that all we have to do is cry out to Him, and He will run to help us. That's our God. What a great God. Amen? Amen. Man, I hope you're encouraged tonight. I hope you leave here knowing that God and trusting in that God and knowing that that God cares about you. He's going to carry you through this next week no matter what you face. Alright? Let's close in prayer. You guys are great. I love you dearly. Thanks for coming. Father God, thank You so much for this book. God, I, I don't know where I would be in my life without this Bible. It is such a daily encouragement to me. Because Lord, it tells me about You. It reveals You to me. The God who loves me, cares about me, sympathizes with me, is there to help me 24-7, all you're waiting for is just that invitation to come and help. Lord, I'm praying for me tonight to just continue to allow me to be exposed in your presence. To trust you enough to, in a sense, lay my head back and just expose my life to you so that you can give me your life-giving power and so that you could bring victory in my life and just grab a hold of those things that are causing me unrest and lack of peace and all of that stuff that I struggle with so often and you can grab a hold of it and your authority can get victory over it. Lord, help me not to do it in my own strength because I've learned through the book of Hebrews that doesn't work. I've got to depend upon you to do it. So Lord, I don't know what each of these dear folks are dealing with and struggling with and what trials and tribulations they're going through, but I know a great God, You, that can help them with whatever they're dealing with. So Lord, I just pray that they would just look to You this coming week. And Lord, bring us back next week as we then dive into chapter 5 and 
just continue just studying this book and being encouraged. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great week. Thank you.